Hi there, Annie Fadley here. We've got more bonus content for you. A couple weeks ago, we spoke to Senator Cory Booker about stock buybacks. It was an awesome conversation, and we figured presidential candidates should probably be published in full. So here's the senator's unedited conversation with Nick and Goldie. And in case you didn't know, Senator Booker has a podcast too. It's called Lift Every Voice, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. Hope you enjoy. Hey, Corey, it's Nick. How are you, buddy? Hey, man, I'm really psyched that you're doing a podcast. Uh, more than you know, that's uh, that's just great news. Thank you, thank you. And I know you do you one, were, too. You were my, one of my initial professors when it came to economic justice uh, issues from, a, from a, uh, a perspective of somebody who actually has been a captain of industry. So I, I continue to savor uh, you, but still your greatest contribution to my, my, my development as a leader was uh, a true patriot. Oh, thank you so much. That's so kind of you to say. So you've been well? Things are, th- things are uh, busy in Washington, D.C., USA. I literally just ran, off, ran from the floor. I was making a uh, speech on this criminal justice bill we're about to get done. So I love it. Congratulations. Yeah, really a good day. That is God's work, man. Thank you. Thank you. Good for you. Good for you. So can we let's I know your time is short, so I want to jump right in. Would you please identify yourself a great one to our listeners? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My name is Cory Booker. I'm uh, a United States senator from the state of New Jersey. Yeah. And one of our favorite senators uh, here at Civic Ventures and on the podcast, Pitchfork Economics. So, Corey, well, let me just start yeah. and interject. So, you know, the other voice, yeah. I'm David Goldstein. <laughs> I, I may interject with a question. Yeah. We'll see how this goes. Yeah. David, uh, how is it having to work with Nick there? Is it, uh, <laughs> well, we'll have a private conversation about yeah, that. Okay. I, I, I offer counseling sessions. I used to be a crisis counselor. That's right. Goldie, tell the senator how you refer to me as uh, my plutocratic overlord yes but benev- <laughs> benevolent benevolent plutocratic plutocratic overlord, overlord. <laughs> that's very important if you're going to be stuck with a plutocratic overlord thank god they're benevolent <laughs> yeah. so uh, uh we're super excited to, to, today to talk to you about one of our favorite subjects covering one of the worst excesses of modern capitalism which is stock buybacks and and you have been at the center of that fight um, and uh, we wanted to talk to you about your bill, um, the Workers' Dividend Act. Uh, so can you tell us uh, ab- about it and why you did it? Well, can I just take a step back? Because yeah. Nick, this is you and I have talked about for over 10 years. The economy of my dad's generation that built out the largest expansion in the middle class on the planet Earth, we have seen a massive warping of what my father, the, the economy my father grew up in, um, that has resulted in the largest stratification of income uh, um, we have ever seen historically in, right. in this country, and uh, a shift towards what I call sort of a, a, a pernicious short-termism, as opposed to a, a, a long-term view of creating real growth and opportunity, expanded and uh, uh, to, to to expanding pathways of prosperity for most Americans and. So this is a massive shift, and it's shifted because we've changed the rules and have created what I think are incentives that work against uh, a a fair, just economy. And buybacks is just one way. Stock buybacks were illegal. It was considered market manipulation before 1982. And what a stock buyback is is a corporation using its profits to buy back their stock, thus thus making – 
uh, the cost of the, the price of the stocks to jump up because you're creating more scarcity, uh, more demand causes the cost to go up as a basic economic principle. And so that raises the stock price um, um, and benefits the corporate, corporation's short-term uh, benefits. And remember, again, this is, these are things that were illegal before 1982, but also we've changed how CEOs are measured for their success. One of the things we now look at, CEOs are often benefited from, is the price of their stock, what their quarterly earnings are. And so now that's that, that by doing that, what was once market manipulation is now often also benefiting that CEO who, is, who, like most of us, we are incentivized by what our incentives are, and their, their, their pay is often pegged towards their stock price. And that's created a very dramatic shift in the American economy. So, for example, between 2003 and 2012, companies on the S&P 500 dedicated 91% of their total earnings to stock buybacks and corporate dividends which left us 9% for investing in things like, hey, raises for their workers. But before the 1970s, remember when these things were illegal, this kind of market manipulation, the split was like 50-50 between dividends for stockholders and um, earnings uh, and, and things like uh, in increasing worker pay. And, and remember, stock buybacks, driving up the cost of stocks, it's a part of that shifting wealth in our society because – 84% of all stocks are owned by the top 10% of households, and the top 1% of households own about, about uh, roughly 40% of stocks. And, and so if I can give you just one real-life example of this. Yeah, I love it. Um, which, which, which just puts things into perspective. And that's what happened uh, with American Airlines, which was, which was, where this was all done without apology, with sort of shamelessness. But, uh, so you basically saw last year – um, uh, American Airlines had a great quarter. They pulled in about $234 million in earnings. Great, bravo for an American Airlines uh, for doing that. And they announced to do the right thing, that they were going to give long overdue pay raises to its pilots and its flight attendants. But America's decision, which was basically an acknowledgement that, hey, we want to fairly pay our workers, and that's important to our long-term success, we made a prudent decision Unfortunately, it was immediately derided by Wall Street and, and, and by financial analysts. Uh, one analyst for, for, for Citigroup literally complained, and I'm going to quote the, the analyst, it said, quote, labor is being paid first again. Shareholders get leftovers. Morgan, yeah, and Morgan Stanley literally downgraded American Airlines shares, and they went as far as to argue that it, it quote, establishes a worrying precedent in our view both for American and the industry. So again, we know and we remember, uh, you know, corporations were formed, and and by by American law, they, they were seen to have to be be loyal to in their constituencies, such as the, the the towns and the cities which they were, their workers. But we've seen a per perversion of corporate uh, ideals uh, yeah. and corporate ethics to now their sole loyalty, according to. Wall Street, which is actually providing the incentives to those CEOs, those CEOs are now looking to their quarterly earnings and to their stock prices, it's perverted the system now away from those ethics of old uh, uh, where corporations were, were formed. And by the way, they're given that status, certain tax status, by Americans, by, by, by American government. 
it's now perverted their, their focus from communities, from the common good, from their employees, now to just those short-term stock reports uh, and quarterly earnings. Um, and, and that's why we've tried to find a, a fix for that to balance out the incentives to get the focus back to um, those people that are increasingly, we've seen 60 years of stagnant wages, while corporate profits now are dr have been driven up to a over 80-year high. Yeah, it, 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 that, that was just a terrific explanation of where the country has gone wrong. Uh, ju um, just a reminder <clears throat> to the audience, you're listening to Pitchfork Economics with Cory Booker. <laughs> so good. Um, and so, and, and uh, you know, there was not one thing that you just said that um, – I thought I disagreed with. I think you're you're dead on it. And 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 I also observed the Wall Street reaction to American Airlines and was just I was just appalled by the naked um by the naked greed of it all and in particular the lack of self-awareness, right? Just the astonishing <clears throat> assumption that the only thing that mattered was making rich people richer, and that the employees actually didn't count at all in the equation, that there was no social or political or economic utility uh, created by fairly compensating them, and that it literally, from the point of view of Wall Street, the like it, 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 we could literally enslave those people, and if the profits went up, that would be righteous for everyone. It was just a it's just a remarkable um, expression of this sort of super concentrated form of neoliberalism that permeates our culture and our politics. I, I don't know how you get through through life, Nick, when labor is always being paid first. I don't know. I don't know. But, it, but it's also misguided. It, it actually yeah. doesn't create better companies. No. It, it actually hurts the well-being of that corporation. That's right. And we know we have countless examples of if you focus on people, if you invest in folks, if you pay them fair wages, not only does your corporation do better, but the society in which that corporation operates thrives. And right now we're, we're, we are choking our democracy um, by, by shifting away the balance of power in this country that focuses on people, broad middle classes. And we're actually creating a dangerous system where yeah. System itself is being delegitimized, and I, I see that by the rise of corporate power in America, by things like Citizens United, you see a, a concentration of power, a rise of economic power, a rise of political power. That then they come down and double down on on that momentum that is turning and turning our our society more and more away from workers and working people, literally stripping the dignity away from work, which ultimately undermines the security of our society as a whole. Yeah. So so let's turn to solutions, Senator. Uh, how would the Workers' Dividend Act address this? Well, the, the Workers' Dividend Act basically says, look, if, if you are going to buy back stocks, what was just a matter of decades ago, uh, uh, something that was market manipulation, if you're going to engage in those practices, then you have to, when you, when you make those stock buybacks, you have to give a commensurate share of, 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 that, of that dividend, of that, of that uh, profit, uh, to your um, to your employees themselves. So if you don't buy back stock, you're, you can continue to pay your employees what they are. But if you do go for stock buybacks, um, you, then your workers have to sh see, see a benefit from it. It has to benefit the whole uh, community constellation of, of interests that are that are part of the corporation. And the best thing I can do again is give you a real life example, which 
the company that we often talk about uh, uh, for what it pays its workers, which is our nation's biggest uh, corporate employer, which is Walmart. They have over 1.5 million uh, uh, employees. And so this is the example uh, of what our bill would do. Walmart's starting wage is just $11 an hour, which is $19,448 a year for a full-time worker. By the way, I, I'm New Jersey senator. You can't live in, like, let's say, the New York <laughs> metropolitan area and, and, and have raise a family of four, uh, like my grandfather did, who raised his family, my mom, on a on a factory worker salary. You can't uh, um, even that, that, you can't even afford an apartment for nineteen thousand no. dollars a year. No, our, our, I mean that. Um, th- this is how much America has changed again in yeah. one generation, where jobs had dignity, jobs had security, and we've now taken that away. That's why I live in an airport town in Newark, and I see people who work full time jobs, catch extra shifts, and still need to live uh, on food stamps and subsidized housing. Because a lot of these corporations outsource their their labor costs onto society, and worse than that, onto the children of those families who now have more economic insecurity, which often translates to them doing worse in school, them doing worse in terms of their, their economic life outcomes. But let's get back to the bill. So you, it's 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 less than twenty thousand dollars for a full time worker. Now Walmart saw uh, in two thousand seventeen nine point eight billion dollars in profits, which again is revenue minus expenses. Walmart's board decided that they were going to use, out of that $9.8 billion in profits, they were going to use $8.2 billion of it in stock buybacks in 2017, again, driving up their, their, their stock prices. But if my bill was there, um, if it, the Worker Dividend Act, if it was law, uh, every worker would have seen a dividend uh, of $3,266 added to their annual pay. Right. So they, too, would have had to benefit from that use of 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 uh, of, of that stock of that of money that for cash stock. flow, and and and, yeah. and yeah. Corey, if I could just interject, the way in which you just framed this is both accurate but very conservative because that nine point eight billion in profit was after tax profit. Yes, <laughs> right. Yeah. That's the, that was the profit after tax. So right. um, to be clear, if they had used some of the, some of this money to pay their workers they would have l- increased their expenses lowered their after tax lowered their pre-tax profits and therefore lowered their tax bill so the net the net impact would really be lower you know yeah. like so it's cheaper for it's actually cheaper for them in a way to pay people exactly absolutely yeah and, and, and that's what, uh, you know, I talk to folks all the time who want to call themselves sort of free market people. And, and I give countless examples in my, and we've all had these arguments uh, with folks about how our tax system as we know it right now has changed dramatically and is constantly shifting the collective resources of this country. We call them here in Washington tax expenditures is shifting those tax expenditures to the wealthiest of people and creates decisions. Like, why is it that we as a society, a 55-year-old public school teacher, and we know these teachers who reach in their own pockets and, 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 and spend on kids' school supplies. I know teachers in Newark that spend for food and for sanitary products for their, for their teenage kids, and, and they're, they're, they have a very paltry tax break to be able to write off those expenses that they're doing. But they do it anyway. But yet, we, for a 25-year-old kid that works in a hedge fund, they pay, they, we give them a, a better tax treatment 
Uh, and in fact, they're paying less in taxes than their right. uh, uh, because of carried interest than their than their secretaries are. And so we make moral and value decisions with how we structure our tax code. And this is yet another example where we're shortchanging workers, where we're adding to the wealth disparities in our in our country, and ultimately weakening the strength of our democracy as a whole. So, so let me just play devil's advocate for a moment. And, and of course, by devil, I mean Republican. Okay. <laughs> That's um, unfair. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't your bill just take money out of the pockets of shareholders and thus reduce investment in the economy and slow economic growth? You know, it's going to hurt the people it's intended to help, right? Well, well, I love this because uh, I know Nick and I've had these conversations for over a decade. <laughs> I remember that that same argument was against raising the minimum wage. Right. Um, that, so somehow you're going to weaken these companies if you pay people more. And I know that uh, Nick is out there in, in Seattle. And as a result of raising people's minimum wage, putting more money in the pockets of working people, it has actually a multiplier effect in the economy where you have folks who are getting that, those resources and actually spending more. Working people who are often living paycheck to paycheck will be spending that money more and it will create a multiplier effect that ultimately helps businesses as a whole. As you said, Nick, to me, a decade, or when you started fighting the minimum wage battle, uh, you predicted that that's what was going to happen. It's yeah. actually going to help restaurants in the community, and that's what had happened. Sure. And again, I'm sorry, I, I know no, this. No, go uh, ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I, I, just, I just get very frustrated when people seem to have this misguided view, which I, see, I saw with the last Republican tax bill, which is if you just create more and more wealth, um, at, the, at the top reaches of our society, that somehow that's going to trickle down and benefit, it, benefit us all. It's, it's just a failed economic theory that yeah. doesn't hold water. Yeah, and, and, and Goldie, it, it, you, you were being slightly ironic, but I do think it's worth addressing the substance of this claim, which is that uh, stock buybacks are just an efficient way of moving money through the economy. I mean, there are a couple of things that are bogus about it. The, the, the first is, that, as you know, this money that's washing back to shareholders is not actually capital that's being deployed to build factories or anything right. like that. It's just this sort of artificial uh, wealth. It's not artificial wealth, but it's but it's it's paper wealth that is bouncing back and forth between rich people in the economy. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, is it, it is a plausible claim that that. Uh, capital will be used for productive use. But as a practical matter, our society is awash in capital. The people who are being rewarded in this way already have essentially infinite amounts of capital. It, we, our, our economy is not capital constrained. Our, our economy today is demand constrained. And the question isn't, you know, at, at some theoretical level, is capital a good thing? Of course it is. The question is, as a society, how should we best organize our economic policies to generate the most broad-based growth? And and stock buybacks are literally the the least effective, least efficient thing we could do with 5% of our GDP uh, in order to grow the economy and to find ways to share those benefits broadly. And so just, you know, and can just I, add, a, yeah. add one, I just want to add one thing that, that sort of insult to injury. When you buy back stocks, please understand that foreign investors, people outside of our country, one third of all of our corporate stock is owned by foreign investors. 
Um, so as opposed to paying American workers more, if you're shifting your investments uh, to stock buybacks, you're benefiting significantly people outside of our country, making them more wealthy as well. You know, I never considered that. That's a, that's, that's a fascinating point. That's just a fascinating point. So, so Senator, I have maybe, maybe a difficult question to ask. Um, why haven't Democrats done more? I mean, your, your proposal sounds great. But but are, are Democrats stuck in this neoliberal mindset as well? well? Why hasn't why haven't your colleagues done more to address this issue? Well, well one is I want to give uh, Tammy Baldwin some credit who has yeah. a bill that she's trying to ban them all out outright, go back to pre nineteen eighty two, and just get rid of stock buybacks. Um, I, I, I've been sort of frustrated. So I'm the only United States senator that lives in a low income. I think the median income, according to the last census of where I live is about uh, $14,000 per household. And, and these are conversations I have in my community all the time about is sort of the, I consider the boiling of the frog, where, where we have, have not been paying attention to all the things uh, as the temperature is being turned up on working Americans and creating a lot of understandable resentment and anger. Remember, 90% of baby boomers did better than their parents. We're now down to about 50%. And there's a lot of demagogues coming along trying to say that this is Muslims, Mexicans, Chinese, and so on and so forth, as opposed to things that are fundamentally changing in our economy, shifting it towards what I call a short-term economy, where, you know, as I said before, I was an airport town. Let me go one step further than that. You know, New York Times did a great article about um, a janitor that worked for Kodak versus a janitor that worked for Apple. And they, you know, they follow that janitor that worked for those companies in the 60s and 70s, like Kodak and IBM, where my parents got their first jobs, where a janitor still could participate in the uh, tuition assistance program and, and uh, had benefits and retirement security. And they followed this one janitor. She started as a janitor, but she worked up into, you know, middle management. It was a great story of somebody who was willing to work, at, work during the day, go to school at night, so on and so forth. Well, the janitor that works for Apple doesn't work for Apple. They work for an outsourcing company that competes for that contract by bidding down wages, uh, right. um, and giving no security whatsoever, no retirement benefits, no health benefits. In an airport town, when I board a plane, sometimes if I get on first and I see somebody delivering that food, they don't work for the airline that they're delivering that food. They work for, again, one of these outsourcing companies where they don't get the benefits that that corporation do. It's very different than the society that we, that we had of our parents and our grandparents. And, and so I just want my party to be the party that starts standing up for and calling out these new practices in our economy and offering up substantive solutions to empower, the, bring dignity back to work and to bring yeah. pathways back to work. I always say that my father, if you were in heaven when, around the time my father was born, even if you were a black guy like my dad and you were going to pick a country to be born in, the United States would be at the top of your list because we had, we were, we were expanding middle class at a rate that, that there was creating opportunity. But now, if you're going to be born poor on the planet Earth, the United States of America uh, is not going to be necessarily, if you're just looking to get out of poverty, if that's your only metric, this is not necessarily the top country if you're going to be born poor to get out. And, and that's actually an assault on the very idea of the American dream. And so I, I think that this, we need to be the party of reclaiming the dream. Yes. Uh, we need to be party of reimagining of this nation to create great pathways of prosperity. And this is just one of those bills that my team and I are sitting down and saying, okay, how, the, how is this being rigged? How, is, how are the rules changed? How can we address the, those changes? Yeah, so, uh, you know, just in the spirit of Goldie's question, I, 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 we are li living through very, very difficult times 
But one of the hopeful signs to me is the way in which the egregiousness of the problems has energized people from across the political spectrum around bigger, bolder solutions, right? And, um, and, and you know, I, I think that that, I, I think that that, the circumstances are giving, honestly, you know, p- folks like you, folks like me, permission to push way farther around policy ideas than we did or maybe could have 20, 30 years ago. And, and I think that, I think that uh, the, the best thing the Democratic Party could do for itself, uh, could do for the nation, is to redefine for people what's possible, to, 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 to assert with confidence and clarity uh, you know, a bunch of policies that will make a giant difference in the lives of ordinary Americans and by so doing, you know, like like b- b- stand for something that's meaningful and useful. And I, and I think the word you said is working Americans. Right. Uh, look, I went out to visit red state farmers in the Midwest, and these are republic. I sat in Republican homes and Republican backyards, and th- their issues were, are no different than the issues that all of us on this call agree on. In fact, I left, I left those farmers and put in a bill right away saying, let's put a moratorium on ag mergers. Right. Because they, these are folks who are telling me that the corporate consolidation going on um, uh, is, is, is giving them only one buyer often to sell their goods to. And their share of the consumer dollar has shrunk dramatically, about 40% or more over the past decades. And, and, and so I now see a country where working Americans, whether they're working on farms, working in airports like in my community, we have all of this common pain, but we've lost our sense of common purpose. Right. Where, where as you said eloquently with the clarity and understanding that, that we need to have a purpose to get this country back to the dignity of work and pathways to prosperity, where everybody has a fair shot. If you labor and work hard, America will work for you. And, 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 and that's where I think that we as a party have to go to. Because there's a lot of folks in America that don't think our party speaks to them anymore, and they're either checking out of the system or, yeah. or, 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 or being pulled in by a lot of the, I think, lies that President Trump tried to feed factory workers or coal miners, a lot of the lies that, they, that he told them because they look, hey, no other party's working for me, but at least this guy is telling me that he, that he feels my pain and right. is going to try to address the hurt of my family. Yeah, well, people often bemoan the fact that uh, voting participation rates are so low, but you know, what I always say is, well, we haven't given them a reason to vote in a very long time. <laughs> you know, like um, you start to talk about raising people's uh, incomes by 10, 20, 30 percent. You will have their attention, uh, you know. But if we're but if we're, you know, uh, pretending to make a difference at the margin, then nobody nobody will care. So so and, and, but it's also, it's, it's, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but it's not only raising their incomes, but but lowering their costs. Yes. Right. I mean, we have this bill right now addressing the pharma industry and all the games that they play. Oh, my, oh my God. What a, what, a corrupt, what a corrupt industry that is. And, and the more you expose it, the, yeah. there, there's no – they play they, – they they're so smart, even on the state level, by messing with Medicaid uh, and Medicare reimbursements. I mean, the more I've dig, dug into this, the more this stuff is so it – is, it is against the ideas of a free, free, free market. Yeah. You can't have it both ways. Right. And, and, and so I think we should be a party, and, I, and I, there's a lot of other issues I care about, but first and foremost, we should be about returning dignity, 
lowering the cost of living because, you know, for those of us who live in the New York area, uh, there's a guy who ran his whole campaign, which is too damn high. Don't, don't get me started on housing policy in this country and right. how no, uh, uh, perverse it is. But we need to lower expenses, create dignity in work again, which is raising incomes. And, and by the way, I know this is not – you guys talk about pitchforks, but this is actually not about vilifying wealth. This is about no. creating a country where you can actually have fairness, and everybody's going to benefit more right. by having a, a country that, that treats its workers with dignity and gives them opportunities for prosperity. That's right. That's right. So – Senator Booker, what's next? What else? What what, what, so, so what we, else? We have, a lot, we, we have a bold legislative agenda. We're coming out to this new Congress just swinging. And 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 by the way, I, I, I it's not for me. It's not just this is not just thought pieces that are just being thrown out for messaging. We we, we have a lot of policies that we think are about cre- balancing the scales in this country, derigging the system, and so that we're we're doing everything from uh, uh, from baby bonds. Uh, 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 to attacking, uh, as we already talked about, the, the cost of health care in this country uh, with, with, uh, with pharmaceutical, array of things focusing on pharmaceutical prices. Um, I'm really, really focused on, uh, uh, you know, we'd have 20% less poverty in America, 20% less poverty in America if our incarceration rates were the same as our in- industrial peers. Right. Um, and this hyper-incarceration is, is in my community, you know, there's no stopping and frisking of people on college campuses in at Stanford. When I was growing up in a, in a, in a, a relatively affluent com- community compared to where I live now, you know, kids did things wrong, but they weren't arrested for them. Right. And so, so people don't often link economic empowerment to the criminal justice system. So we're going after hard after the things that have rigged the system, that have made uh, low-income people have a harder time being successful, working people having a harder time. Uh, making a living, and that includes everything from housing uh, uh, to uh, uh, other economic justice bills like like this, uh, the Workers' Dividend Act, um, and it includes uh, uh, definitely things uh, that are often not talked about enough, um, um, which really hurt low-income communities. And one I'll give you that people often don't equate with economic opportunity, but we live in a nation where there's over a thousand jurisdictions where it's easier to find unleaded gasoline than unleaded water. And why is that an economic? Why is that an economic issue? Is because um, children who go to school with elevated blood lead levels, they don't even need lead poisoning, um, have significantly higher rates uh, of failures at school, incarceration, and the like. And so, when you're in a community, and again, I use mine as an example because this is what motivated me into politics in the first place, where your soil is toxic, your air is toxic, where you have a criminal justice system that is savagely unfair, where you have a school system that's, that, that could be failing your genius and, and where, you, where the jobs that are available to you don't even pay a living wage, uh, where, where people like uh, – there's a young, young woman I wrote about in my book who's a friend of mine named Natasha Laurel who worked at IHOP uh, um, and couldn't leave her jo- – had to struggle to leave her job when her son had asthma. Remember, urban areas often have three or four times the asthma rates. Her son was in the hospital across the street from the IHOP where the only country – uh, I mean, only industrialized countries doesn't have paid family leave. Afghanistan and the Congo have paid family leave. She couldn't. She had to make that terrible decision that workers all across America have to make about going to be there for a sick child or staying and getting a paycheck so I can keep a roof over their head. 
we need to start having policies in this country that speak to the economic pain of people, restore dignity to work, and, and make sure that no matter where you're born in America, that we're still a country that no matter what your zip code, no matter what your race, no matter what your background, this is the nation that the American dream is real, where you can, if you work hard, America will work for you and you can find prosperity. And so we're going to continue to push legislation addressing these things, even the things that aren't popular, the things that folks aren't talking about, because I, I still believe that in one generation we can correct for how off course we've gotten from where, where our, our, my grandparents' generation was. I love it. I love it. Well, uh, Corey, you have been with us for uh, uh, longer than you promised you would be. <laughs> Uh, and uh, we are so grateful uh, 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 that you took the time to do it. Um, and I must say, I was very impressed uh, with uh, the, the force of logic and um, uh, the, the uh, um, command of detail that you have around these subjects. Very, very impressive, I must say. Well, can I just <laughs> say to you guys, yeah. I, I, and, and Nick knows this because Nick uh, is just a guy, I, I, he's been like a, a, a guru of sorts, like somebody who's like really challenged me, taught me a lot over these years, even before I got into the Senate, gave me one of my favorite books uh, still to this day, is a, a book, True Patri Patriot, Gardens of Our Democracy is good as well. But you guys cast yourselves as radicals as, in, in the language yeah. of pitchforks. I just want to challenge you all. Don't let the political spectrum move so much that you guys are painting yourself as a rat. The reality is, what the kind of things you're talking about, FDR talked about. No. The kind of things right. you talked about, Martin Luther King talked about. Yes. It, it's not radical to say somebody who works a full-time no. job in America should be able to uh, uh, have a decent wage, should be able to raise a family, should be able to retire with dignity. Please don't let yourself be, cast yourselves as radicalism. You, where, where you stand is at the bedrock of what people's idea is of it as America. And, and, and by the way, that's what conservatives want to say. I can't tell you how many times I read about myself or hear myself on Fox News trying to be painted as an angry radical when the reality yeah. is, no, we, are, we represent right or left, if people call themselves Republican or Democrat, the kind of things you guys are talking about are common sense, they are. bedrock American values. And, and, you know, and Corey, the, 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 what we've been saying is, you know, these, these ideas aren't fringe lefty. They are centrist. When, when you're talking about raising the wages of the people in the middle of the economic spectrum, that's not radical lefty socialism. That's centrist capitalism, right? right. right? That, that raising the minimum wage to 15 or $20 an hour benefits most people in the economy. Raising the overtime threshold to the 80th percentile benefits most people in the economy. Affordable health care for all benefits most people in the economy. Affordable college benefits most people in the economy. These are centrist ideas, not fringy ideas or radical ideas. Right. Right. I, I know this is a secular show, but amen, hallelujah. Yeah. Uh, uh, seriously, yeah. that, that you're 100% right. We should keep saying that. Yeah. Um, um, to get more to broaden our coalition, I, I don't right. want us to be, you know, we're in a danger. We have a, we have a crossroads as the Democratic Party. We can we can take on the darkness and the hate, the kind of rhetoric and vilifying indivi individuals, or we can try to have it a message that is really inclusive yes. that speaks to those farmers in the Midwest. I've talked to you about those factory workers, those coal miners. We have the message for those folks. The Democratic Party was that party. It's why my grandfather, most Americans of today's age don't remember that most blacks in America were Republicans. It, was, it wasn't until the 1930s and, and, and right. FDR 
Uh, my grandfather bragged to the day he died that he switched 14 districts in Mi Michigan uh, over to being Democrats because this was a party of working people, factory workers, coal miners, farmers. We are the party of security, social security, Medicare. We are the party of equality and inclusion, women's rights, civil rights. We've got to get back to those basic things that show that this is a country where we're all in this together and we need to create a fair system that empowers human potential. That's what we stood for. We spoke to all working people across the spectrum. Now I, I'm tired of hearing people try to slice and dice us and talk about yeah. you know, white Midwestern men versus uh, uh, a Latina inner city. We're, we're, we all have the same ambitions and same desires. And what you all are talking about in this podcast cuts down those, those illusions of separateness and shows that we are in this together. We have common pain. Let's come back in America to that sense of common purpose again. Love it. Love it. All right, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And uh, more to follow. we got to get Amen. some stuff done, dude. Amen. Rock Amen. and roll. Thank you. I love it. Okay, Corey, thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you for too. Your time. Talk to you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Pitchfork Economics is produced by Civic Ventures. The magic happens in Seattle in partnership with Large Media, that's L-A-R-J Media, and the Young Turks Network. Find us on Twitter and Facebook at Civic Action and follow our writing on Medium at Civic Skunkworks. And you should also follow Nick Hanauer on Twitter at Nick Hanauer. Thanks for listening.